we thank you for your amazing love that while we were yet sinners, you came to this earth to die for us. <laughs> what an incredible expression of love that was. And we thank you that that love extends down to us 2,000 years later. We thank you that as we sit here in May of 2013, that your love for us is just as great as it was for the world back then when you were crucified. And Lord, now as we open your word this morning, we pray that you will open our eyes to how we can be your vessels to extend your love and your grace and your good news of, of your life, death, and resurrection to those around us who def- desperately need to also know of your love. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Have you ever thought about what it would take to help all the communities around us come to know Christ? I think about the gospel, about the good news of what Jesus has done for us and how important that news is about how apart from faith in Christ, there is no way that anyone can have eternal life. And with this truth, um, we also recognize that there are many people around us who we rub shoulders with every single day who unless something changes in their life to help them embrace Christ, when they die, they're going to be separated from God for eternity. So I think about the importance of the gospel, but I also think about the power of the gospel to transform people's lives. I think about what God has done in my life during the last 14 years that I've known Christ. Just that transformation that's taken place. And I think about uh, similar things that God has done in other people's lives around me. Just giving people a new sense of life, of purpose, of freedom from guilt and shame associated with their past. And a new sense of joy and peace. And this is available to anyone and everyone who turns to Christ. So I think about the importance of the gospel and the power of the gospel. And it makes me wonder, what would it take to help the gospel go to the communities all around us to help people embrace Christ? Now, as I think about this question, I recognize that there are many other people here, even here this morning, who are also thinking about this question in similar ways. I see the back of the connection cards every week on the prayer request back there. We welcome anyone and everyone who has any sort of prayer request to share it back there. And Pastor David and I pray about these prayer requests every single week. And each week, I see prayer requests for people to come to know Christ, whether it's family members or friends or co-workers or neighbors or acquaintances, for people to come to know Jesus Christ. I think also of a few months ago after a church service, a man who attends here, he came up to me and, and said, Pastor Brandon, would we be able to get together sometime? Because I'd like to learn more about how I can share the gospel with my co-workers. I think that's so cool to see people wanting to share the gospel with those around them. I think about many conversations I've had even in the last week with people who want to invest their lives in the lives of the people around them to help others grow closer to Christ. And, and this just encourages me so much. I, I think when I look at all these things and look at what God's doing in our midst, I see God building a wave of momentum to help us to reach the communities around us with the gospel. Now here at Freedens, we have a diagram that we use oftentimes to help explain how does a person grow closer to Christ. It really talks about the three key relationships that a Christ follower should have. You have your up relationship with God, and your in relationship with other Christians, and your out relationship with the world around us. We talk about this as being our up and out triangle. that talks about those three key relationships that Christ followers need. Now oftentimes it's easy to focus on that up relationship with God. We love worshiping God. It's easy for Christians to focus on that in relationship in terms of fellowship with other Christians. But it's important to recognize the out relationship is incredibly important as well. That God has called us and equipped us 
to reach out to the communities around us with the gospel. Now, a couple of months ago, I received a very encouraging email from a woman here at Freedens, and I, I received permission from her to read an excerpt from this email. And, and I, I'm just going to read a part that was very encouraging to me that shows another indication of God's work in our midst to help people turn their focus outside the church walls. Here's what she wrote. She said, I want to take a few moments of your time and share something with you. As I continue to study the Bible and grow in my prayer life, I feel convicted to move into the out relationship of my life. Even though my up and my in relationships are still so new and growing, um, I'm praying for direction as to where I should begin to grow in the out relationship. Can you help or refer me to someone who can? Is there a need at Freedens or somewhere in the community? I know you're busy and would appreciate any direction you may give. Now, I would love to get emails like this every single week. Um, Yes, I do have stuff going on that keeps me busy. But it's so encouraging to see someone who recognizes, you know, I really want to grow in the out relationship. I want to grow in reaching others with the gospel. And so we look at this and I recognize many people have this desire to point people to Christ. And we have the question of how. How can we practically go about reaching the communities around us with the gospel? Well, this is what we're going to look at today. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapters 13 and 14. If you didn't bring a Bible with you but would like to follow along, you can grab a Bible from the pew or the chair in front of you. And we are in a series right now called Turning Points. And it's called Turning Points because we're looking at the key events and the significant shifts that took place in the early church to help accelerate the expansion of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire and help more and more people become wholehearted followers of Christ. Now, when we look in the book of Acts, more than half of the book is focused on a man named the Apostle Paul. Paul, we've looked at him over the last few weeks. He had quite a life. He was a persecutor of the church. He hated Jesus and hated Christians. But then Jesus met him one day in a very powerful way. And, and Paul became a follower of Christ and became one of the greatest church planters of all times. And one of the most significant parts of the book of Acts is a a recounting of Paul's three missionary journeys where he would travel throughout the Roman Empire taking the gospel to people who'd never even heard of Jesus. And today in Acts chapter 13 and 14, we're focusing on the first of Paul's three missionary journeys. And the turning point we're looking at today is the importance of strategic disciple-making mission strategic disciple-making mission. You see, Paul, as he was going throughout his ministry, was very strategic to make disciples and to reach more people with the gospel. And we're going to seek to apply the same turning point, the same principle to our lives and our church and our communities to engage in more and more strategy and strategic disciple-making mission. So I'm going to read beginning um, in Acts chapter 13, 1 through 6. We're gonna, we don't have time to read the entire two chapters here today, but we're going to read in several different sections. But we're going to start off Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. Luke writes that in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. There was Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Two of them, sent in their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia 
and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. So what we see here is taking place about 15 years after Jesus was resurrected and ascended into heaven. So 15 years has passed, and we see here reference to a city called Antioch. Antioch was about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It was a city that was primarily made up of Gentiles. Gentiles in that culture was anyone who was not a Jewish person. And what had happened was back in Acts chapter 8, we saw that Paul, when, before he was a Christian, was cruci- or not crucifying, but he was persecuting the church in Jerusalem. Most of the church at that point was centered around Jerusalem. There wasn't really much intentional effort yet to get the gospel outside of Jerusalem. But Paul was, was strategically and very harshly persecuting the Christians in Jerusalem. And so what happened was most of, the Jer- most of the Christians fled from Jerusalem. And as they fled, they took the gospel to the surrounding communities wherever they went. And a number of them went up to Antioch. And they began to share about Jesus there in Antioch. And a number of people came to Christ. Now last week we saw the church in Jerusalem, which was the home base of Christianity at that point, decided let's investigate what's going on up there in Antioch. So they sent Barnabas up there. Barnabas went there, was very encouraged by what he saw God doing. He recruited Paul, who at that point was a Christian, to come up there and to help teach this church. They taught there for about a year. Then we come to this passage where after they'd been there teaching and building up the church for about a year, God sent them a message that it's time to send Barnabas and Paul off on a missionary journey. So the church prayed for them, and they sent them out. And the first place that Barnabas and Paul went to was an island called Cyprus. Now, Cyprus was a very logical place for them to start because that was Barnabas' homeland. So it would have been a place that was very familiar with them. And they worked their way from one end of Cyprus all the way over to the other. And after they completed uh, talking with people about Christ in Cyprus, then they went on to a number of other cities uh, that you can see right up there on the screen on that map. But what this shows, uh, what we see here as Paul and Barnabas are going out into the Roman Empire to take the gospel out, is the first principle we're going to look at today. We're going to look at three principles about, about this turning point of strategic disciple-making mission. And the first principle is the importance of going to the people whom we're trying to reach. Going to the people whom we're trying to reach. Now, this may sound very basic, but so important that I don't simply want to assume that we recognize this importance. Jesus said in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, some of his last words on this earth, he told his disciples, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He told them to go, not just to wait and ask them to come to you, but to actually go to where they are and make disciples. But we know up to that point in Acts chapter 13, there hadn't been a lot of intentionality in going out with the gospel. Now, the church was definitely growing. A lot of people were becoming Christians, but the process was more spontaneous than strategic. Most of it took place as normal Christians were sharing the gospel with their friends and their family. And so, um, so a lot of people were coming to know Christ, and that's wonderful, absolutely wonderful to share Christ with your friends and family. But at the same time, there wasn't a lot of strategy in how are we going to get the gospel, which is so important, out to the surrounding areas and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But here in Acts chapter 13, we see the begin, beginning of strategic outreach with the gospel. Now, I think it's important to address the question of why is it important 
to go out with the gospel. We're talking about this being important. Why is it so important? Well, I think it's important primarily because the gospel is so important. But most people will not come to us asking us, hey, can you tell us about Jesus? Most people don't realize the significance of why they need a Savior. Now, some people will come to us. That will definitely happen. But for the most part, if we really want to get, get the gospel out to the world around us, we're going to have to go to where the people are. Now, there's definitely a lot of people around this world who've never even heard of Jesus. And if they've never heard of Jesus, they're not really going to be able to embrace him as Savior. And so that points to the need for intentional missionaries who literally are going all around the world to take the gospel to people. This is why we as a church support 12 different missionaries around the world to take the gospel to places that we personally will probably never go. But I also think about here, uh, just right in our midst, in our communities. I think we have to recognize that there are a lot of people right in our midst who also are not going to come to us to ask about Jesus. And we need to be intentional to go even into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces. Go with the intentional mindset of being missionaries to take the gospel to where people are. Studies have shown that now in America, almost 60% of Americans will not set foot in a church or at a Christian event, even if they're invited. That our culture is becoming such that people not only don't have an interest in Jesus, but many people have a prejudice against Jesus and against the church. Or they've had bad experiences in the past that just turn them off and they don't want anything to do with Jesus or the church anymore. And so, so we see only about 40% statistically are even willing anymore to come to a church or to a Christian event to hear about Jesus. So we have a question, how are we going to reach those other 60%? Now that is looking at America as a whole. And I look here in Ozaki County and I think, you know, we probably have a higher percentage here in Ozaki County who would be willing at some point to set foot in a church or to, to, to go to a Christian event to hear about Jesus. And I say that because Ozaki County is more conservative and more highly churched than most of the rest of the nation, especially on the east and the west coast. But even still here, I, I see challenges. Because here, you know, vast majority of people have obviously heard about Jesus and many have some sort of church in their background. But that's the problem, is that people have a mentality of, I've been there and I've done that and I've, I've done the church thing and I know a little bit about Jesus and I've had enough. I don't need anything more. But these are oftentimes still people who don't have that, that life-saving relationship with Christ. They still need the gospel. So this points to the importance of not just staying here in the walls of the church and saying, okay, come to us, but we need to go to where the people are. It's interesting to look over in Europe and what's taking place spiritually over there now. And I think that's important because culturally and, and socially, what takes place in Europe usually translates to what's going to take place here in America, say, in about 50 to 75 years. In Europe, Europe used to be the center of Christianity throughout the world. Today in Europe, it's certainly not the center of Christianity anymore. I saw a statistic recently that said in England, only about 6% of the population is our regular church attenders. Now, I recognize church is not the end-all, be-all. You can be a Christian without necessarily attending church, even though that's not very healthy for your spiritual life. But even the general statistics of the number of Christians are, are very low in England and in other parts of Europe. 
that 6% of people who regularly attend church is, is pretty uh, common across most of Europe. And if we aren't careful, that's the direction that America is heading as well. So we still have that question of how are we going to reach people with the gospel? Now, I think about my life. I think about, okay, how did I come to know Christ? I certainly was not going out there looking for Jesus. Um, I was sitting in a dorm room one day. Um, I, I was, it was a Wednesday. I was a sophomore in college. I was supposedly doing some Calculus two homework, though I think I was more procrastinating during that time. Uh, but I was just sitting there in the afternoon, and I was not really thinking much about God. I grew up going to church. I, I knew some basics about God and the Bible. But at the same time, I really didn't know that much about what God had to do with my life. And so I wasn't out there looking for Jesus. I stopped attending church at that point, and I was just sitting in my dorm room. It was a classmate named Benji who stopped by my dorm room one day. And he just started a conversation with me, uh, just made some small talk, and then it led to some spiritual questions. And we were just talking about um, our beliefs in God and our church background and stuff like that. And after a few hours of conversation, it ended up leading to sharing the gospel with me. And that was the time where the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, really clicked in my mind for the first time. Now, I think it's important to recognize what was taking place there. God was the one ultimately at work, but I was not out there looking for Jesus. I wasn't going to a church and saying, hey, pastor, can you tell me about Jesus? I want to know about him. I was just sitting in my dorm room, and it was my classmate Benji who came to me, and God worked through Benji to bring the gospel to me. And I think so often that's how God works. He works through us taking the gospel to the people around us. I think about a lot of my best spiritual conversations with non-Christians. Most of them haven't taken place in a church or at official Christian events. Most of the best conversations I've had with non-Christians have taken place in people's homes, at coffee shops, while I was working somewhere, like when I was working in a landscape supply company while we were unloading trucks, talking with people about Christ there, um, talk, standing in people's yards, uh, driving in a car with people. I mean, most of the best conversations I've had with non-Christians about the gospel have taken place in places other than the church or official Christian events. This points to the importance of going to where people are with the gospel. As I said before, we need to think of ourselves as missionaries in our own culture. Because we are. We're missionaries called by God to take the gospel to the people around us. When we have that mentality, it really changes the way we go about our lives. I think about Shelley and I during the last six months or so. We've, there's been a lot of turnover in the neighborhood in which we live. That's this neighborhood right here because we live right next door to church. And there's a lot of turnover in terms of the people living in the houses. And um, people selling houses, buying houses, stuff like that. And what that's done is God's laid on our heart to be missionaries in our own culture is to be more intentional in reaching out to the people who are moving in. One of the things we do is bake apple pies for them. When a new person moves in, we bake an apple pie, take it over to them. We don't try to talk with them uh, for a long time right away, but just, just as a friendly gesture. Just say, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. Um, it's nice to have you here. We look forward to, get to getting to know you better. We have people over for dinner. Uh, we enjoy just talking with people out in the yard or out in the street when we see them. There's an intentionality there. Um, partly just, you know, we enjoy getting to know them. It's nice to know your neighbors. But there's also the aspect of striving to live as missionaries in our own neighborhood and our own culture. Because we are called as Christians to take the gospel 
to the people around us. And the reason why this is so important to build those relationships is because I firmly believe the gospel flows best over the bridge of relationships. That relationships in which you build trust and camaraderie and care for one another, that's where the gospel flows best in other people's lives. So we look at Paul and Barnabas here. They are going out into Cyprus and into other cities, taking the gospel to people who've never heard about Christ. And I think it's interesting to look at what they're doing here, what their strategy is, because we see over and over and over in Acts, including right here in the passage we already read, at the first place they go, when they're going into a new city, they go into the Jewish synagogue. We see that in practically every city they go go into. Over ten times in Acts, we see Paul, when he enters a new city, he goes into a synagogue. I think it's important when we see that pattern to ask, why does he do that? Well, one of the reasons it's just a logical place to start. It's a place where people are naturally already seeking God in various ways. They're Jewish people who have the Old Testament scriptures that, that prophesy about the coming Messiah who is Jesus. So they go there and tell people about Jesus. But that points to the second principle that we need to apply in our lives just as they were applying in theirs. And that second principle is to find people of peace. Find people of peace. Now you, you may wonder, okay, what does this idea of a, of, of a person of peace really mean? Well, it goes back to Luke chapter 10. Uh, Luke chapter 10, you don't need to turn there, but you can write that down if you're taking notes. In Luke 10, Jesus is sending a lot of his followers out on short-term missions trips. Basically like a trial run just to get them some experience in in ministry work. And so I want to read this. And in this context, we see the people of peace. Luke chapter 10, verse 1, it says that after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him into every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Now, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. So we see here the description of a person of peace. These followers of Christ are to go out and to go to different towns, preparing the way for the coming of Christ. And and they're to find a person of peace in whose house they can stay. And this person of peace is someone who will welcome them. Someone who is kind and friendly to them. Someone who is generous and willing to share with them. Someone, because of the way that, uh, that households worked in that place, in that culture, a household was more than just a nuclear family. I mean, a household could have 10, 20, 30 people in it with extended family and such. And, and so these were people willing to open up their networks of relationships to the disciples who were entering their house. So that's the description of what a person of peace is. And as I look at, at Paul and Barnabas, as they are going into the synagogues in town after town after town, I think one of the main reasons they're doing this is to find people of peace there through whom they can work to spread the gospel. I want to read a little bit more of this passage to see on on Cyprus and then actually over in Pisidian Antioch, the next place they're going, to see this, this, this strategy taking place of Paul and Barnabas seeking out people of peace. And this also gives us a glimpse into what they do when they go into the synagogue. So I'm going to read Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 13. And it says, From Paphos, which was that last city they were in um, 
on Cyprus, Paul and his companions sailed from, to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the Law and the Prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel, you Gentiles uh, who worship God, listen to me. And so then he proceeded to tell them about Jesus. He started out by talking about what God had done in the Old Testament down through history, leading up to Jesus being the focal point of it all. And we see over in verses 32 and 33 a summary of what Paul was communicating. He said, We tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, he fulfilled to us, their children, by raising up Jesus from the dead. Jump down a little bit to verse 38. We see the conclusion of Paul's message in that synagogue that day. He said, Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Now, jumping down to verse 42, we see uh, what happens after that. It says, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and, and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who talked with them and urged them to continue on in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So you see what's taking place here. Paul goes into a synagogue. He tells people about Jesus. And then a number of people begin to follow him. They want to learn more about Jesus. And these people are the people of peace. These are men and women who heard about Jesus and they want to know more. They're receptive to this message. And these are probably some of the people with whom Paul and Barnabas and the others who are the missionaries, some of the people whose houses they stayed in as they stayed there in Pisidian, Antioch, or the other cities. And it says that, that these men and these women, uh, they followed Paul and Barnabas, and Paul and Barnabas talked to them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. And these people of peace were the base of the new church. They, they were the, the core of the new church in Pisidian Antioch and the other cities where Paul went. But it was based on this idea of finding the people of peace, finding the people whom God was already working in and working through those people to extend the gospel. Now, obviously, not everyone was a person of peace. Listen to what took place the very next verse where I left off. It said, verse 45, When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Verse 49 the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews inside the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city, they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So we see that there are a lot of people there who opposed Paul and Barnabas. We see even that they shook off the dust from their feet in protest. Even that comes from, or from Luke chapter 10, where Jesus was talking about the, finding that person of peace. Jesus says that when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. 
So Paul and Barnabas are simply following the custom of the day, following the teaching of Jesus, that when, when, when people opposed them, they shook off the dust from their feet and said, okay, we're not going to waste our time ta- working with you when you are pushing back so hard. We're going to keep going and finding more people of peace to work through. So we have a question for our lives. Who are the people of peace in our lives with whom we can work as we take the gospel out to try to reach others with the good news of Jesus Christ? Who are our people of peace? Obviously not everyone will be, but who are the non-Christians in our lives who genuinely like being around us? Who seem to have some degree of, of openness to talking about spiritual issues? If we can identify those people in our lives, those people are probably people of peace through whom um, God can, can use us to extend the spread of the gospel in our communities? Or who are the Christians that whom we know who have a lot of non-Christian friends whom we can partner with those Christians in helping reach those non-Christian friends with the gospel? These are people of peace. And when we have that perspective of finding the people of peace, the people who are receptive to spiritual things, who, who like being around us, it changes everything about the way that we live. It changes the way we interact with people. It changes our view of, of how, we're, how we're going about our relationships with people. I think of a conversation I was having recently with a good friend. And he and his family recently moved into a new house. And, and he was talking about how he's doing yard work outside. And um, how now as he has this perspective of being more of a missionary, of trying to engage in relationships that can lead to the gospel, it, it kind of changes his perspective on how he's interacting with people as he's working. I mean, because before he'd be kind of focused on the work he's doing in the yard and I mean, maybe say hi to people walking by on the street, but not really um, divert his focus that much from the work that he was doing in the yard. But he says he develops more and more of a perspective of being a missionary, uh, of trying to engage in relationships with people to be that bridge to the gospel. It makes him much more uh, willing to engage in conversations with them, to try to build relationships with them. You know, he's still getting work done in the yard, but he's also working at cultivating relationships with the people around him to, to identify who are those people of peace in whom he can invest further in order to see fruit from the gospel. It changes your whole perspective on how you live when you're looking to go with the gospel to the culture and identify those people of peace in whom God's already working that you can partner with God in reaching more people for Christ. Now, I want to point out a third principle from this passage as well. It's over in Acts chapter 14. And the, the, the third principle that we're looking at to help us grow in strategic disciple-making mission is empowering people to make disciples. Not just trying to have the church leaders do it all themselves. Not to say, well, Pastor Brandon, you're the pastor. You're the one who makes disciples. We're all here just to receive your ministry. That's not how it works. I mean, yes, this morning, on Sunday mornings, um, you might be here a little bit more to receive. But in general, we are called all to be empowered to make disciples. It's not only my job. It's not only Pastor David's job. It's not only the job of the elders or the church council here. It's the role that we all have to fulfill. And we look over in Acts chapter 14, and we have the question of, of how did Paul ensure that the churches were going to continue to thrive and to grow? Well, look to see what happens in Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 21. It's, at this point, they're at the last city, Derby, the last city that they're going to be in before they return home. Um, 
And it says that Paul and Barnabas preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they, they gathered the church and told them about everything that God had done. But I want to point out what Paul and Barnabas did. They went back into each of the cities where they had previously preached the gospel and saw, saw people come to Christ. And they began to appoint leaders of these churches, specifically named elders. Elders are simply leaders in the church who are qualified to teach. And they equipped them and empowered them to keep making disciples. Anytime you have an evangelist who comes through town, I think of Billy Graham or Luis Palau. Whenever Billy Graham or Luis Palau or other traveling evangelists go into a town, there is a long process of preparation leading up to that time. Partly to make the event a success, but also to make sure there is strong follow-up. Because they know that without strong follow-up, people may get excited about Jesus, but there's going to be very little long-term fruit. Follow-up is a key. And Paul and Barnabas certainly are not omnipresent. They aren't everywhere at once. So they must empower people to carry on the work of the gospel, to carry on the work of building disciples of Christ and extending the reach of the gospel into the surrounding regions. They had to empower people. They couldn't control it all themselves. They had to, to equip others to continue that work. You know, the same place, the same thing needs to continue to take place today. Like I said earlier, it's not just my role to make disciples and everyone else's role just to kind of come along for the ride. We all have a very important role in making disciples. I think about those elders. And, you know, the reality is most of those elders probably who were appointed to lead the churches probably had not been Christians for more than just a couple months. And it's kind of shocking when you really think about that, isn't it? I, mean, I talk with people here about, you know, God can really work through you to build others as followers of Christ. And I hear so often, well, I just don't feel equipped. I don't feel like I'm ready. I need to grow more. And it's kind of intimidating. I'm not confident. I'm not competent in it. Well, I mean, think about these elders. They'd probably been Christians for just a couple of months at that point. But Paul equipped them, and he empowered them, and he called them to make disciples, to lead the churches. And the model throughout the New Testament is not just the elders and leaders of the church making disciples, but every Christian being involved in that process. And again, I think about how often I talk, talk with people who feel intimidated about that. And there's a part of me that just kind of chuckles at the difference they see in a lot of churches versus campus ministry. Before I uh, went to seminary, I was involved in a campus ministry. Uh, now it's called Crew. At that time, it was called Campus Crusade for Christ. But it was amazing how you get college students on a college campus who have no problem discipling other people, no problem sharing the gospel with other people. Because there's a culture that's created there of if you're a Christian, you're naturally pouring your life into others. So it's very common to see people who are juniors, seniors, sometimes even sophomores, investing their lives in other students to help others grow closer to Christ. Yet I see in church, so many times people who've been in church for years or decades feel very incompetent and unconfident in that. 
I, I think of uh, last week we had Travis Sternhagen here. Now he's in North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. He was sharing about how God has worked powerfully in his life during the last year. He grew up in this church, but God's really been at work in his life. And now he's on a short-term missions trip for 10 weeks uh, with, with crew, Campus Crusade for Christ in, in North Myrtle Beach. And he's going to be sharing the gospel with a lot of people through the course of the summer. And as he shared last week, halfway through this missions trip, for the last five weeks, the students are going to be the ones leading the missions trip. All the staff are going to leave. It's going to be up to the students to, to lead everything that's going on, to disciple one another. Travis is going to get a role. We don't know what that role is going to be yet. Perhaps his role is going to be to disciple a small handful of the other students on the project. Maybe his role is going to be to coordinate all the outreach for the project. We don't know. But he's going to be given a role, just as every other student there is going to be given a role as well. He's 20 years old. He's, he's a normal guy. I mean, people who've grown up in this church have known him for years. But God is going to work through him. And I think if a 20-year-old can do that, everyone here can do that as well. You may still feel kind of intimidated, but I want to encourage us. One, we have the Holy Spirit working in and through us to, to cause people to grow. Two, we have Scripture. If we can just get in Scripture with people and point people to Scripture, that can help them grow. I want to share a couple of questions that can be helpful for making disciples as well. One question, they, they go in a sequence. But the first question is, what's God teaching you? What are you learning from God right now? I mean, it's an open-ended question. It can go any number of different directions. What's God teaching you? And what are you going to do about it? Because if we just apply those two questions and are consistently asking those questions in our relationships, especially if we have some more intentional discipling relationships, God's going to use us to help other people grow. So we all have the ability, if we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, which we do if we are followers of Christ, and if we use Scripture, and if we just ask questions and are attentive to God's leading, we all have the ability in the calling to help make disciples. Now here, as we look at Acts chapter 13 and 14, we see a major turning point taking place in the history of the church and the history of the world. Because Paul and Barnabas, as they are taking the gospel outside of Jerusalem, they're starting a chain reaction that is going to cause Christianity to explode throughout the Roman Empire and beyond. If you use computer terms, Christianity is about to go viral because it's about to grow exponentially because they're empowering people, normal, everyday Christians, and thousands upon thousands of them, to take the gospel out to the communities around them and to help make disciples. The difference here is, is growth by addition versus growth by multiplication. If you just depend on the church leaders to make disciples, at best you're going to get growth by addition. That means just adding one to one to one to one. But if everyone is involved in helping make disciples and taking the gospel out to the communities around us, you get growth by multiplication. Let me, let me share a, a math equation or a math problem, something like that, to illustrate the difference. Imagine you have an evangelist. He is very effective in what he does. He goes out every single day, shares the gospel in large crowds of people, large stadiums. Every single day, he sees 50,000 people come to Christ. That's a lot of people, isn't it? And he does this day after day after day after day. You compare that one evangelist who's reaching 50,000 people a day with the gospel, compare that to someone who tomorrow goes out and shares the gospel with someone and sees that person come to Christ. They spend one year investing in that person's life, discipling them, helping them to grow. And a year from tomorrow, those two people go out, share the gospel, and each see someone else come to Christ. So now the number is four. 
They do the same thing next year's discipling. Go out, share the gospel again. Then you're up to eight, 16. That's, that's, that's growth by multiplication. That's what was taking place in the early church because people were empowered to share the gospel. And, and the difference in how long it takes to reach the world in those two different ways is astounding. Because if you have one person reaching 50,000 people a day, it's going to take you 383 years to reach the world with the gospel. That's, that's longer than any one person is going to be able to do it. But if you compare that to the person who just starts out and it grows exponentially, each person is taking the initiative to share the gospel and to disciple people. Then to reach 7 billion people only takes 33 years. It's the difference between the growth by addition. You can, you can do the math if you want. Pull out the calculator. It's the difference, though, between growth by addition versus growth by multiplication. And, and in reality, how that takes place is normal, everyday Christians, just like all of us, going out with the gospel, taking it to the people we're trying to reach, finding the people of peace, and, and helping people come to know Christ and discipling them to grow. I have to remember, the churches were not made just for worshiping God and just for fellowship and just for fun with each other. God designed us as Christians and us as a church to reach out with the gospel. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you give us such an amazing calling. You call us to be ambassadors of Christ, to represent Christ to the world around us. And what an amazing calling that is. I pray, Lord, that you help us take this calling seriously. I know that many people here are probably feeling very intimidated right now, feeling like, well, what do I really have to offer? But, Lord, I pray that you will increase each person's confidence here, that you will help us all to be getting in the Scripture, depending, to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit, and that we will see you in the coming months and years work through us as individuals and as a congregation to reach our communities with the gospel. We love you and thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ and pray these things in his name. Amen.